You're listening to the Word of Life AG podcast. At our church, we're all about leading individuals to become faithful and effective followers of Jesus Christ. We hope that this message inspires you and draws you close to God this week. If you would like to take a next step, like joining a life group, joining a team, or getting one-on-one spiritual coaching, visit our website. That's wordoflifeag.org. This past Sunday, Pastor Tom shared a great message with us called This Time Next Year. Let's check it out. Good morning. Uh, Good morning, everybody. How are we doing? Everyone okay? Well, something wonderful happened to me this week. Uh, I was in my office uh, getting ready to work. It's our offices right back here in the building. And as I'm working, I hear this sound of laughter and happiness and joy and it was the students from Word of Life Christian Academy that are back this week. So uh, the kids were right there having a great time. And I just went out. It made me so happy to hear these kids all out there playing. So I just went out and like they were drawing chalk stuff. I think there's a sea monster that's now becoming a class mascot or something on the floor. And there were boys racing each other and all sorts of cool stuff. It just made me so happy to have the school back uh, in session this week. So that was awesome. And all the parents that have their kids going back into school this week, come on somebody. How are we feeling? Yes. Uh, bumpy few days, but it's worth it. Amen. Love your kids. Glad they're back in school. All right. But this weekend, as we've already mentioned, is going to be Fall Fest. And so this is something we wanted to do. We wanted to pull everyone together um, as we start to get back to normal. Uh, Summer is not a typical time for families. It does mean that uh, kids are, of course, off school and different things are happening and there's vacations happening and there's different things and different ways to spend your weekend and all those kind of things. So it's always a big moment when it's back to school. There's a level of back to normal. So we wanted to kick off this back to normal right. So we wanted to have a great weekend to be able to do something fun, something that's going to be good. So after service today is definitely going to be awesome. But as for right now, I want to give you fair warning, this is going to be a boring message. I want you to turn to somebody and say, if I fall asleep, you got to nudge me. If you think this is some weird false humility or some kind of setup, I promise it's not. This is going to be a boring message. But I wholeheartedly believe if we do the boring right, it starts to take care of things. If we do the boring and the simple and the unexciting well, it starts to set us up in life. And so the title of this message is This Time Next Year. If you're taking notes, and it's always a great idea, you can just write down, this time next year. And that's a phrase that if you look it up in the Bible, it's said three times. And it said to three separate ladies, uh, and it said to Sarah, it said to Hannah, and it said to a lady whose name we don't know, but uh, she's called the woman of Shuman, and she uh, had an interaction with the prophet Elisha. And these three ladies were all told the same thing. They all had the same promise. This time next year, you will have a child. That was the promise that was given. It's three times. If you look it up, this time next year you will have a child. These three ladies, they all had something that they wanted. There was something, there was an ache that they had. There was a a way that they wanted life to dramatically change. There was a breakthrough that they were hungry for. There was something in life that they wanted to be different than it was right now. And the promise they had was this time next year. And so that got me thinking about, you know, this whole idea about this time next year. How could life look different for you and for me this time next year? Now, for the ladies that we read about in the Bible, there was a specific thing that they wanted more than anything. But for all of us that are here, we want to see our lives transformed. We want to be some kind of change, something to look different this time next year. 
And it could be any number of things. So you need to fill in your blank, I'll fill in mine. But whatever the blank is, this time next year, things can look dramatically different. Things can look dramatically different this time next year. And whatever it is that's on your mind, whatever it is that comes to the forefront of your thinking, as we talk about this idea of this time next year, something changing, I wonder what that is. And it might be private to you, it might be personal for you, and that's fine. But I want you to have that in your mind as we consider this today, as we consider this very boring, very dull, very unexciting message. What is your this time next year? And there's a famous saying, there's a good chance a number of you have heard this or read this before. We overestimate what can happen in a week and underestimate what can happen in a year. We overestimate what can happen in a week and underestimate what can happen in a year. And I've tried to find out where that saying originated from, and I can't find who first coined it. But that idea of we overestimate what can happen, we want big, grand things to happen in the short term. I know that's definitely true for me. And we can get so focused on the big thing happening right now that we underestimate the power of small things compounding over time. To put this into church language, we love the big miracle, but ignore the blessing of a life built on faithfulness. We love big miracles. We love those big moments. We love those big, dramatic, exciting stories of breakthrough. But unfortunately, too often we neglect the small daily steps that make a compounding difference. We get all excited about stories of big dramatic displays of God's power, but too often we give little attention to boring, consistent faithfulness. It's not wrong to want those big moments, but it shouldn't come at the cost and the expense of neglecting the small, seemingly insignificant. If you're here right now, you may need a miracle. You may be up against it. You may identify with the people of Israel as they had Pharaoh at their back and the Red Sea in front of them, and you don't see a way through. You may identify with that picture. And I want to let you know that we're a church. We'll pray with you, we'll believe with you, and we'll stand in agreement that a miracle's coming. We have a prayer team that you can come and speak to after service. They'd love to stand and pray with you. But the story of the Israelites is an unfortunate one because they were part of this massive miracle as the Red Sea split in two, and they get through to the other side, and the Bible tells us within a month... They were all kinds of confused. They were rejecting God. They were rebelling against God. They were complaining. They were grumbling. They were frustrated about how it was going, even though they've been a part of a giant miracle. It's an unfortunate picture of how neglecting to do those small things, those insignificant things, those boring things faithfully can bring about an unfortunate result. With this whole idea about this time next year, there were three examples from the Bible that leapt out at me. And there were three different visuals or illustrations that I found were helpful as we kind of considered this idea, and I was running through this idea of this time next year, how can things look different? The first is from Matthew 7, starting verse 24. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine, this is Jesus talking, and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down and streams rose and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell with a great crash. See, the exciting is building a house as quickly as possible, not concerned about how well or how poorly we're building, focusing on what we'd rather be doing. And I'm gonna guess that a house crashing down is very exciting, but the boring, is spending time carefully considering where to build the house, being thoughtful and thorough with what you're doing, prioritizing being sturdy and secure. 
A house that just stays steady when storms rage. It's boring, but it's blessed. And here Jesus is talking about how we respond and apply his example and teaching, but he recognizes that storms come, and of course that's a reality we all know. But it's better to face a storm when the house is steady and sturdy and secure than if it's rickety and about to fall down at any moment. In this analogy, we're talking about Jesus getting our lives being built and orientated around him, his example, his teaching. And the promise is we'll fare better in the storm on a solid foundation if that is how we are building our lives. The first picture is that of having a strong foundation. The second picture is from Psalm 119. Very well-known verse. Many of you all know it very well. Your word is a lamp to guide my feet and a light for my path. Life is described as a path, the path that needs lighting up with a word or a promise helping us make the next step. God is saying that my word, my promises, my instruction, my guidance, my wisdom, my help is like a lamp. And the picture of a lamp here, it's, it's not a great big flashlight. Instead, it's rather a small clay uh, lamp that they would have had in the ancient Near East. There's a small oil lamp that was only bright enough to give off enough light to illuminate one step in front of a time, one of you at a time. It wasn't big enough to illuminate the whole path. It wasn't big enough. The light wasn't given enough so that you could see all the way and all the journey and all the stumbling blocks and all. It was just enough for one step at a time. But that is what we need in a life of faithfulness is we need the Lord to show us, okay, what's the next step from here? What's the faithful step from here? The third thing that leapt out in this whole picture is from Galatians 6, verse 7. Don't be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. You will always harvest what you plow. Now, there's some strong words that are in here, but this is neither a positive nor a negative. It's really just a reality check. It is observed throughout all creation that the outcome of something is directly linked and connected to how it originated. You see this all over. This is how God set up the universe. This is how God intended world to go is the idea of seed time and harvest, that how things start is going to let us know and give us an indication of how it ends up. So this passage from Galatians, don't be deceived, don't be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. This will happen. This is how God has set the world in motion, that how things start, how they originate, the seed that is sown, it is going to be an indicator of the harvest that follows. It is going to be an indication of the harvest that follows. This time next year, things could look very similar or things could look very, very different. And it largely depends on the seeds that we sow the seeds, the choices that we make today, our actions, our decisions, how we spend time, how we prepare, our habits, our boundaries. God won't be mocked. The seeds that we sow in our lives will be reflected in our lives. A lot can change in a year, or a lot can stay the same. A lot can change. A lot can move. A lot can happen. God can do a lot of incredible things in the space of a year, or a lot can stay the same. We can spend the next year building on a stronger foundation, like we read about in Matthew 7. We can spend the next year walking with God, lighting each and every step along the path. We can spend the next year sowing good seed. And after a year, things can look very, very different. Now, a couple of helpful thoughts that hopefully will help put some legs on this thing. First thing is, is I think we need to believe it can get better. We need to believe it can get better. The three women that were told and given that promise of this time next year, you will have a son. Those three women, they believed after they had that promise, after they had that word, after they were spoken to, after they got that, they believed it could get better. 
If we believe we're stuck, if we believe that there's no way out, we will act and live like we're stuck and there's no way out. We have to believe that it can get better. There's a, a guy called Dale Carnegie, and he's very well known. It's a long time ago now he was writing books, but uh, he did a lot of things on motivational speaking and uh, things like that. He's an interesting guy, but he had a quote. The only reason anyone does anything is they believe it's better than not doing it. Now, that's a paraphrase, but the only reason anyone does anything is they believe it's better than not doing it. And the motive to act may be positive or negative. I mean, being mugged or blackmailed or coerced into something um, is obviously a negative, but it's still the belief that that threat makes it an easy choice to do something rather than not doing it. And hopefully today, this is all positive. It's a positive that we have a dream or a goal that we're believing God for, or an addiction or something else that's negative that we're hoping to move beyond. But a very first step is the sincere belief that this can get better that it doesn't have to stay like this, that God is God of the impossible. Amen. I have a, a friend of mine, and he was part of our church in New Jersey, and wonderful guy, and we've stayed in touch as we've transitioned up here to New York. But while I was down there with him, one of the first things when I met him a number of years ago now that he shared with me was uh, him and his wife had become estranged, and she was living in California, and he's, of course, on the East Coast in Jersey. Had a teenage son that was with him, and it was a very complicated relationship. There was a lot of things going on, and let's just say everybody needed to apologize for something. It was a very complicated relationship. And as he would tell me a little bit about how this was all going, and the communication that was happening, and the arguments that were happening, and the, the lack of trust that was existing between the two of them, and all kinds of different things, it just seemed to me completely hopeless. It seemed to me completely hopeless. And it was really difficult for me to just see any sign that this was going to be reconciled. But he truly believed he'd had a word from the Lord that this was going to be repaired and restored. And I would listen to him and we'd talk and we became good friends and I'd listen and he would tell me this week's drama and you know, it was you know, two steps forwards and you know, 16 steps back and all that. It was just listening to how it was going. And you can probably guess where the story ends. But even though to me it just looked like I don't see any hope in this. Thank God it wasn't dependent on what I could and could not see, because as for today, they are reconciled. She moved from California to New Jersey. They're both doing really well. Um, she's actually in Bible college right now. They have a new four-month-old baby that is doing awesome. It's just an incredible story, and I give you my word that there were times when he would tell me that it's worth a round of applause. Come on, somebody. I give you my word, this was a situation, as I spent hours talking to my friend about this, there was no hope. There was no hope. But my friend had a word, and he believed it could get better. And today, thank God, they are truly doing incredible as a couple. It is a wonderful story of reconciliation and restoration. John 8, 31. Jesus said to the people who believed in him, you are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Faithful to my teachings, the solid foundation, walking the path guided by God, sowing good seed, all those things we talked about, knowing the truth with eyes wide open, promise from Jesus is we can find freedom. And this freedom means we're not trapped. This freedom means that we can have a belief and a confidence that things can get better. Then the reality of today doesn't have to be the reality of this time next year. 
the thing you're trying to shake off, the thing you're trying to break through, the relationship that you want to have restored, the career move that you're hoping to make, the goals that you have, the aspirations that you have, the dreams that God's put in your heart, the reality that they are today, it's not how we want it to be. That does not mean that this time next year, things don't look dramatically different. Why? Because we're free in Jesus. And if we're free in Jesus, it means we're not trapped in today. Second thing, rise to the challenge. First thing, believe it can get better. The second thing is rise to the challenge. Uh, Jesus encouraged his followers to start thinking and talking and praying to God as if he is a father. And this is mentioned in the Old Testament prior to Jesus' earthly ministry, but it really is a New Testament perspective that Jesus brings and invites his followers into. That in our healed and restored relationship with God, that we can look to him as father. And this invitation to relate to God as Father helps us understand His character. There are things about God that I never began to appreciate until I became a parent. Any other parents found that to be true for them? There are things about as we relate to God as Father and as we call God Father, there's things about Him that I didn't get until I became a parent myself. And uh, next month, it's going to be 10 years, by the way, I've been in this parenting game. Um, it feels like 20. Uh, <laughs> But in that time, my appreciation for God has grown. And I want to share this verse with you with this in mind. Hebrews 12, uh, starting in verse 5. Have you forgotten the encouraging words God spoke to you as his children? He said, my child, don't make light of the Lord's discipline and don't give up when he corrects you. For the Lord disciplines those he loves and he punishes each one he accepts as his child. And that's taken from Proverbs chapter 3. As you endure this divine relationship, remember that God is treating you as his own children. Whoever heard of a child who is never disciplined by his father? If God doesn't discipline you as he does all of his children, it means they are illegitimate and not really his children at all. Since we respected our earthly fathers who disciplined us, shouldn't we submit even more to the discipline of the father of our spirits and live forever? For our earthly fathers disciplined us for a few years, doing the best they knew how, but God's discipline is always good for us so that we might share in his holiness." No discipline is enjoyable while it is happening. It's painful. But afterward, there will be a peaceful harvest of right living for those who are trained in this way. I was uh, maybe 21, 22. I was on staff at my church back in the UK. And uh, I worked with a guy who was um, scarily, he was about my age now. I thought he was so old at the time. But he had five kids, and we worked together in our church back then. We had a morning service and an evening service, so there was only a few hours in between church before we had to get back. So it wasn't unusual for me to go to his house with him and his family and have lunch before we had to dart back to church. So I'm hanging with him in his house one day, and he's got these five kids, and his oldest was probably about 10 at the time. And he did something that upset dad. I don't remember what it was, but he did something that upset dad. And so I'm kind of sat in the room as dad's giving the kid the business and, you know, telling him why it's wrong and letting him know this can't happen again and all this kind of stuff. And then the son goes upstairs to his room and, you know, whatever punishment happened, happens. What stood out to me then, and it still stands with me now, is he turned to me and said, man, that's so annoying. He's been so good lately. And I wasn't a dad at that point. I'd never known that kind of fathering. I just thought fatherhood is letting you know what the business is, send you to your room. I didn't know there was another side of this coin. But it taught me something about fatherhood as I watched my buddy. He was, there was this level of like, man, we were doing so well. Things were going great. And I had to bring some discipline. I'm not looking forward to bringing this discipline. It's not something, you know, I find joy in bringing this discipline. My buddy's a good dad. 
just like the Father in heaven. That discipline is not so that we can just be smacked down for the sake of being smacked down. I love my kids, and I don't enjoy them getting in trouble. I do enjoy them growing and learning to become better little people. But it's my job as dad, and it's the Lord's almighty creator of heaven and earth's job as our heavenly father, that if our foundation is off, as a loving father, we have to deal with it. If we need direction on our path, if we've got to just stray off the path, he loves us too much to just let us stand there while we wander. In the same way, we love our kids too much to just let them wander. If the kids are sowing bad seed, bad choices, negative actions, things are just going awry, we need to be too honest to them in the same way that God needs to be honest to us in His love for us and in our love as earthly parents towards our kids to let them know that this is not going to work out as you think it's going to work out. And as a father, I want my kids to be stronger, better, healthier this time next year. And the right response for them and the right response for us is rising to the challenge, is having this determination. Then there is a strong belief, same idea that we heard about from Carnegie, that doing it, embracing the discipline of God, is better than resisting and rebelling and pushing against the discipline of God. And that belief needs to be deep-seated in our lives that as the discipline of God comes, as a loving heavenly Father, we have a belief and a resolution. This is worth it. Embracing the challenges that He's bringing, the refinement that only comes from Him, the Holy Spirit working in our lives, cleaning us up, is worth embracing that. Third thing, think long-term. The first thing is believer can get better. Then we had rise to the challenge. And this one is think long-term. And for this, I turn to the book of Proverbs. Now, the book of Proverbs is a collection of sayings that was written. Uh, the wise people, uh, especially King Solomon, he's in there more than anybody, but they would collect these writings, and they were put down on paper so that we don't forget, but we can continue to teach them to people so that as they go about their lives and the level of influence and leadership that they had, that they would do it well, they would do it with wisdom. And there's a, a tiny sample that I want to share with you. I want to rattle off a couple of these Proverbs that deal with this idea of long-term thinking, this idea of this time next year. 13, uh, verse 16. Wise people think before they act. Fools don't, and even brag about their foolishness. Commit your actions to the Lord, and your plans will succeed. Good planning and hard work lead to prosperity, but hasty shortcuts lead to poverty. Commit yourself to instruction. Listen carefully to words of knowledge. A house is built by wisdom and becomes strong through good sense. Through knowledge, its rooms are filled with all sorts of precious riches and valuables. And if you've read the book of Proverbs before, you'll know that there are many, many others that we could recite today that paint this picture of the importance of long-term thinking, of not being consumed and, and absorbed and just complete and utterly focused entirely on what's happening right here and right now, but instead having a mindset of, okay, what's coming next? How does this continue to go? I'm living my life and building my life and structuring my life in a way that this time next year, things are going better than they are right now. Things are stronger and healthier than they are right now. Think long-term. Psalm 119, verse 105, your word is a lamp to guide my feet and a light for my path. Matthew 7:24. therefore everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Hebrews 12:11. no discipline is enjoyable while it is happening. It's painful. But afterward, there will be a peaceful harvest of right living for those of you who are trained in this way. 
Galatians 6, 7. Don't be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. You will always harvest what you plant. Our actions, decisions, how we spend time, how we prepare, our habits, our boundaries, it all combines. It all combines together in exactly what we've looked at, the kind of foundation that our lives are built on, being built on the example and teaching of Jesus. Talking about the path that needs a lighting up and needs illuminating, that a word or a promise from God helping us make each and every next step, sowing the seed that God can bless and will produce a great harvest, accepting the discipline of God as a loving Father who truly wants what's best for us, the pushing God away, the rebelling against what He's trying to do, it doesn't end how we might think it's going to end up, and that what we're sowing is going to bring a great, powerful harvest. Think long term. Have the future in mind. Consider this time next year. From the Proverbs that I've read, I, I feel a challenge myself to think that wisdom is considering this time next year when making choices and living my life rather than being absorbed in today and the right now. You know, in uh, 1967, I only know this because I Googled it, by the way, but in 1967, that's when microwaves became mainstream in the United States. And into the 1970s and beyond, they just became a staple in households. Microwaves being there. And ever since then, there's been this uh, notion that we are the microwave generation. And that kids today are so impatient. Um, I mean, they've been around like 40 or 50 years by now, so I don't think it's kids today. I think it's just everybody. You know what I'm saying? We're all the microwave generation. Society continues to get you know, faster, quicker. And as a very impatient person, I appreciate that many, many times. But as believers, we need to be confident and, uh, and comfortable that just because society and culture and in lots of ways around the world, things are speeding up, that isn't going to hurry God up. He has plans. He has timetables. He has a way of doing things. God works in seasons. And we may be hurrying up. The world around us may be hurrying up. That doesn't mean that God is hurrying up. God works in processes. God takes time. God works His plans. He's bringing things about, and he's not going to hurry up just to match our impatience. God's moving. He's working. And I invited you at the outset to consider and have a blank in mind. Whatever your blank is, I'm asking you, please don't be impatient. And just because you're not seeing the breakthrough that you want to see straight away, it doesn't mean God has given up on that thing. It doesn't mean that God is not interested in that thing. It just means we're on his timetable. If we've invited him in, he is faithful to be in it with us. If it's not happening quickly enough, I know that feeling. It doesn't mean he's not in it with you. It just means he's still working and his seasons are still unfolding. And that's why having a long-term perspective and thinking this time next year rather than now, now, now is going to set us up to be a life of blessing because we're thinking long-term, not just chasing the here and now quick fix. Now, you may have something in mind, and there's something in mind that you have, whatever the blank is for this time next year, you want to see this area of life, or this thing, or this attitude, or whatever it may be. You may have that in mind, and as you have that in mind, there may be specific habits that you need to take, and specific things we need to do and be faithful with. But before we close, I want to give three things that I would say no matter what the thing is, whatever your blank, 
These three things fit whatever it is. So for each and every believer, each and every person here, if we put these three things into practice, I think it's going to set us up better than if we don't do these three things. Is that all good? All righty. First thing, three things worth doing. Number one, find your place in church. Find your place in church. And I don't mean pick your favorite seat. That was a way better joke than... Anyway, find your place in church. Attending church, coming to church is awesome. I'm glad people do that. But there's more. There's more. Be a part of church. Be a part of what's going on. We mentioned already today that we have life groups coming up. Find a group that works for you. Find a group that works with your calendar and your commitments already. Find a team to be a part of things so that you can be a part of a mission. And my invitation to join a team is never because we want the stuff to get done. The stuff will get done one way or another. It's an invitation to be a part of what's going on. It's an invitation to join the mission, to be a part of what's happening, to get around people, just have, you know, some people that are going to speak wisdom into your life, are going to be a good, strong relationship to you, all those kind of things. Find your place in church, not just a seat for you to be a part of on a Sunday. I'm glad you're here. I'm glad if you're an attender of the church, I'm delighted you're here. Have the courage to take a next step and find somewhere for you to get involved. I promise we have no interest in taking up all your free time. We do, however, want to invite you to be a part of this mission that God has called us to. And there is an incredible blessing from doing so. First thing, find your place in church. Second thing, build a strong devotional life. Build a strong devotional life. It's amazing, in 2,000 years of church history, nobody has reinvented the wheel on how to have a devotional life. It's always been founded on the same things. It's founded on Bible reading, it's found in times of worship, times of prayer, and in fellowship. That's it. Ain't nobody reinventing that wheel. For 2,000 years, it's been changing believers' lives, absorbing ourselves, consuming ourselves with Bible study, having times of worship, not just together when we gather on a Sunday morning or in a midweek service, but having times of worship just by yourself, times of prayer of just seeking God and bringing to Him all your needs and prayer and times of just lifting Him up and declaring His goodness just refreshes the soul and having time with other believers to encourage us and lift us up. For 2,000 years, that's how believers and that's how the church has been strengthened. It's simply by having strong devotional lives, Bible, prayer, worship, fellowship. Third thing, three things worth doing. Number three, choose your influences. Choose your influences. Recognize who or what is influencing you. Who or what is influencing our actions, our decisions, our attitude, how we spend our time, all those kind of things. How will we be influenced by these things? No, I'm not the person that's going to say, you're not allowed to hang around with that person. You shouldn't spend time with that person. You need to cut people off. I, I don't do that. I don't think that's right, and I don't think it's the heart of God. But I do think we need to be wise enough and cognizant enough to recognize I'm being deeply influenced by this. And I can still have relationship with somebody, and you can just make an internal decision, but I'm not going to let those person influence how I go about my life. I love you. I spend time with you. I care about you. I'm glad we're in relationship. I'm glad we're family. I'm glad we're friends. I'm glad we're coworkers. I'm glad we're neighbors. But I'm not going to be getting my influence from you. You're not going to be a part of steering my life. It doesn't have to be this weird confrontation. It's just an awareness on the inside of, you know what? I'm going to be careful what influences I'm taking on. Who's going to influence my attitude? Who's going to influence my thought life? Who's going to influence the words that come out of my mouth? Who's going to influence my decisions? How I'm going to spend my time? Having that awareness is a life-changing thing. So choose your influences. 
I want to take a few seconds. Uh, are there any teenagers in here? I'm not going to embarrass you, I promise. But any, any teens, like anybody in middle school, high school? Okay, wonderful. Glad you guys are here. I want to talk to you guys for a second. My hope for you, my hope for you, high schoolers, middle schoolers, is that when you tell your story of your relationship with God, it is a boring story. It is a boring story. So one thing that we've done as a church is we get all kinds of amped up and we get real excited when the story is dramatic. You, you know, like we love the testimony of somebody that, you know, I was running guns out of Mexico and the FBI caught up with me in Kentucky. And you know what? I went to jail, but then I escaped jail. And when I escaped jail, I hid as a monk for three months and then I found Jesus. You know, like we love those. And that's Mike Chiz's testimony in a <laughs> nutshell. <laughs> we love those stories. We get excited about those stories. Like those get us all kinds of, yeah, this is exciting. But the story I hope for my children is that when they get to college age, their testimony is, you know what, I grew up in church. I learned at a young age that following God, following Jesus is the best thing I could do with my life. And I never really strayed too far from the path. That is what I'm begging God for to be my children's testimony. I don't want you to have an exciting testimony that involves jail and gun running and mischief with Mike Chiz. I want you to have a, I want you to have a boring testimony. I really do. Believe it can get better. Rise to the challenge. Think long term. Find your place in church. Build a strong devotional life. And choose your influences. I got a couple of questions for you. If you are taking notes, write these down. If you're not taking notes, grab your phone or something and um, you know, write it down somewhere. If you need to get a pen and write on the neck of the person in front of you, that's fine. But a couple of questions. I invite you to take some time this week and pray through this and think through this and consider this and weigh it up. The first question is, what's your this time next year? Some of you may already know. It may have leapt out at you as soon as we started this, this message today. It may have just leapt out at you, but... What's your this time next year? For those three, three ladies in the Bible, they all uh, wanted a child and were told this time next year. For my friend, it was for his marriage to be restored and repaired. And what's yours? Is it a commitment to faith and something to do with your relationship with God? Is it uh, a relationship with a loved one? Is it a career aspiration? Is it breaking free of an addiction? It could be any number of things, but have a confidence of what's your this time next year. And the second question, what's a new habit that will help you get there? What's a new habit that will help you get there? And I talked about those three things about, you know, find your place in church and building a strong devotional life and be careful where you're getting your influences from, but what's a fourth or fifth habit you could add to your life that is going to dramatically change things this time next year? What's some seed that we're going to start sowing and asking God to bless? What's something that you can add you know, earlier on, one of the things we talked about is reminding us as believers and followers of Jesus that we're free. In Him, we're free. And because we're free, it means that we're not trapped. We're not stuck in today. Instead, we can have optimism. We can have hope in the future that things can change, things can turn around. I want to read that verse again from John 8. Jesus said to the people who believed in Him, You are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. 
And what does freedom in Jesus mean? It means freedom from sin, freedom from all those destructive things that ruin our lives. It means freedom from a broken relationship with God and instead the ability to enjoy a healed and whole and restored and repaired relationship with our Heavenly Father. It's the freedom to enjoy peace that can only come from Him. It's freedom to be able to change and transform our lives and change what today looks like. And you may be here today and you may have never set foot in church before. This may be your very first time or perhaps you've been away from church for a long time. I don't know the story and I don't know the situation, the circumstances, but you're here. And you're hearing a message about this time next year, things can look a lot different. And maybe for you, that's really important. Maybe for you, actually, life looks pretty good right now. But even though life looks pretty good, something's up. It doesn't feel right. My friend, that feeling can only be fixed by repairing a broken relationship with our Creator, our Heavenly Father that loves us so much, that loves us in an indescribable way, so much that He would send His Son to the cross to fix this broken relationship between us and Him. If you're not following God today, if you wouldn't describe yourself as a Christian or as a believer or as a follower of Jesus, I want to invite you to make that change today, to start a life following God, putting Him first, prioritizing your relationship with Him above everything else. It is easily the best decision I've ever made 18 years ago. I want to give you a chance to respond to that today. If you wouldn't mind, everybody here, just closing your eyes and bowing your heads. It's just to give some privacy and discretion to people around you and give us a chance to focus on what really matters in this moment. But if you're here right now and you be honest enough and brave enough to say, Tom, you know what? I'm not following God. I believe in God, but I'm not following Him. But I want to start. I'd love to pray for you today. If that's you, if you just put your hand in the air, just so I can see who I'm praying for in a moment. Online, you can click the button that says, I raise my hand. Thank you. Thank you. Amen. Thank you. Anyone else? I'm not going to do anything weird or do anything to embarrass you. I just love to know who I'm praying for. Anybody else here today? You want to start following God. Amen. Wonderful. Amen. Anybody else before we pray? You're just saying, Tom, when you pray, include me. Wonderful. Amen. Amen. Come on, Word of Life. Let's celebrate people making the best decision. We're going to pray a prayer together. And I believe from my experience and also from talking to many, many other people, if you pray a prayer like this and you have any faith at all, if you have any trust that a prayer like this is going to make a difference, life will never look the same again. So come on, everybody. Let's pray this together. I'll say a line. I want to invite you all to say this back with me. Lord Jesus, I believe you died for me. I want to follow you. I invite you to be Lord of my life. Help me follow you every day. I want to leave my old life of sin behind and heal my broken relationship with God. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Come on, one more time, everybody. Let's celebrate.